0: My name's Ollie, and it's a privilege to be with you tonight. I want to start by asking you guys, what makes good leadership? What makes good leadership? Uh, In good times, but especially through hard times, wars, global pandemics, what are the qualities that make for good leadership? It's the question that uh, gets asked at most job interviews. It's the question that gets debated over in high school uh, for who can become SRC rep, uh, what makes good leadership? You know, this uh, picture tells a bit of a, a story. Uh, picture up on the slide there. Uh, leadership matters, doesn't it? It matters. I don't know what you guys think, but it seems to me that there's a terrible lack of good leaders around the globe. Not just those who are able to lead, but those, uh, the types of people worth emulate, emulating. But why bring it up in a sermon? Why talk about leadership? Here, Well, firstly, uh, Scripture talks about it, and we're up to this point in 1 Corinthians. So uh, for us to teach the whole counsel of God, we have something to learn. Uh, secondly, many of us are leaders. Uh, many of us influence others, and, uh, or we one day. And in fact, uh, Paul's later, he says, uh, to imitate him in, in his leadership, so it's relevant for whoever we are in the community. And finally, uh, on Wednesday night, uh, the elders announced to to PVC that they've asked me to be the pastor of youth and young adults uh, for the remainder of this year and, God willing, moving forward. Uh, And so it seems particularly relevant that we talk about leadership. Uh, And I ask you tonight to help uh, keep me accountable to this and to help me serve you. As we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 this week, Paul concludes the discussion he, cha- he started in chapter 1 about the Corinthian church's division and, and jealousy uh, over apostles and, and their focus on human wisdom rather than on the gospel uh, and outlines for the church the type of leadership God calls us to. So, so as we'll see, what makes a leader and what breaks a leader will boil down to, to motives. The rise and fall of leadership hinges on our heart and our heart towards God. Uh, Elsewhere, Paul writes to his young prodigy, uh, Timothy, and he says the qualifications for an elder and all the qualifications he lists all relate to, uh, except one, relate to the leader's character. Uh, the, The one exception being the ability to teach. And so it matters what we do, but it matters more who we are. A hinge The crux, the defining reality, the difference between gospel leaders and defective leaders. The rise and fall of leadership hinges on our heart transformed by the gospel. So as we'll see, have your Bibles uh, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 if you haven't already. Uh, Grab a pen and a notebook or open up notes on your devices and, and let's dig deep together into God's Word tonight. As we're going to work through this passage, I want to show you, Paul, as Paul works through his argument, what makes for gospel leadership and what makes for defective leadership. We'll see tonight that gospel leaders are servants of Christ who count the cost and who live lives worth imitating. So let me pray to God as as we ask him to reveal himself to us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you now in humility and, and pray that you would speak to us. Lord, your word is perfect and it is um, your breath. You are speaking to us. So Lord, please, um, please guide us. Please speak to us. Uh, please use these words to transform us into your image. And Lord, give us that great picture of Christ that we might better worship you and, and live lives that, are, that honor you. So. We thank you for your word and we just come to it now in great expectation in Jesus name. Amen. Well, come with me in your Bibles, chapter 4 verse 1. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Pauls are referring to himself and the other pioneers of the Corinthian church. The church has been putting them on a pedestal, but Paul says we are servants and should be regarded as such. Gospel leaders are first and foremost servants of Christ. A servant, it's a title of humility, of submission, of duty. And that to Jesus, to to Christ. Paul understood his calling as, as as not answering to people, but answering to Christ, completely to Christ, And his master Jesus had entrusted him with the mysteries of God. That is the gospel, God's wisdom, as we saw back in chapter 2. You know, to entrust someone is to give them responsibility. If I entrust the mechanic with my car, which I did this week, they are responsible to look after my car and to do the job that I've asked them to do. Although my car isn't worth that much, Paul has been entrusted with a message of infinite worth, Jesus Christ had appeared to him and had given Paul a call to be witnesses to the nations. God provided the means for all humanity, including you and me, to be saved from our sinfulness through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul was not to leave this gospel as an afterthought. as kind of second best. Rather, he was to be faithful to the message to the end. So read with me verse 2. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Paul was given a task and was called to be faithful to God alone. His motives mattered. His heart attitude mattered. Because God had said, verse 5, He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. God isn't looking at what's on the outside. He's not judging us on our successes or or our fruitfulness. He said before that God alone is the one who brings the growth, not those who plant or water it. Rather, God looks to the heart, judging our faithfulness to Him. Gospel leadership looks like this then. They are servants of Christ, faithful to the gospel, who serve with the right motives. So for each of at each point of gospel leadership, I want to give you an example from my life of those who have emulated this to me. Uh, these people are not perfect, nor are they the specky kind of people that books are written about, but they their faithful leadership impacted me greatly and brought great glory to God, and, and I hope will illustrate to you what it might look like for us. So the first example of servant leadership in my life uh, were two of my youth leaders, Anne and Joel. Uh, though all of the leaders in the youth team were faithful servants, these two particularly uh, made, a, made a lasting impression on me. Anne was a single woman, uh, a successful speech pathologist, who gave up her Friday nights for more than 10 years to love and shepherd the youth of our church. You know, she went to great lengths to care for and to love, uh, always with the purest motives, um, seeking to love Jesus by loving his church. Uh, Anne was renowned for less than sturdy bones and on many youth camps uh, would put her body on the line to participate. She ended up in hospital more than once. But Anne, she modeled to me what faithful servant, selfless leadership looked like. And the other person was Joel. Uh, I'll never forget Joel taking me out, um, taking time out of his weekend to, to take me out for breakfast, uh, hearing me chat about some uh, clearly hopeless relationship with a girl who's, who's And he just simply and gently pointed me back to the gospel and prayed for me. Uh, Joel, you know, he could have indulged in gossip or he could have just brushed me off for the dopey 15-year-old that I was. Uh, But Joel was entrusted with the gospel and he took the time to articulate it to me. That I was traveling down a slippery slope of self-service and lust and that Jesus promised a far more fulfilled life in obedience to him. And that I should slow down a bit. I needed to hear that. And Joel, in his servant leadership and trust with the gospel, ministered to me. If that's what servant leadership is, Paul then gives us a bit of a clue of what defective leadership might look like. So come down to verse 3 and 4 with me. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Paul knows that he doesn't answer to people. Neither does he even answer to his own opinions of himself. It is the Lord who judges. You see, the church at the time were obsessing over who they thought was the better leader. And Paul could have come in and and tried to convince them why he was better and why he was more qualified than them. But Paul knows who he answers to. You see, defective leadership, by contrast, will constantly seek man's approval. They are people pleasers. You know, this is perhaps what I struggle with the most. I care very much what people think of me and find myself in constant temptation to temper what I say so that people will like me of avoiding conflict in, in case of upsetting people and feeding off the praise and the well done on a Monday morning. It's a struggle. But more sinister, perhaps, we must be beware, beware of whatever is hidden in darkness that the Lord will expose and bring to the light, as he said. See, defective leadership does not seek to serve, but rather is motivated out of self-gratification self-service, self-promotion. We must keep our motives in check. All the more knowing that Jesus is coming back to judge. He said in verse 5, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. And so let our motivation to lead others be the reward of those sweet words from Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. What is your motivation to serve? If you're a leader in the church, do you see yourself as a servant of Christ? Where might God be calling you to faithful, thankless service? If you aspire to leadership, unlike the world, we're not promoting ourselves above others. Rather, we are positioning ourselves below Like Joel, willing to put up with an arrogant teenager to serve and be faithful to the gospel and faithful to the calling that God had given him. This is how we also ought to regard our leaders. Our leaders are not some uh, extra-worthy super-Christians, but rather we're called to be servants. Servants together. Gospel leadership or gospel leaders are servants. Servants of Christ. Come with me to verse 6. Paul says this all for the benefit so that they wouldn't fall into the second trap of defective leadership, becoming arrogant, puffed up. So let's read verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as, if you, as though you did not? This time we're going to begin with what defective leadership looks like. The Corinthian church were in danger of being puffed up, thinking of themselves too highly, better than others, boastful. Paul warns of this, going beyond what is written. In other words, thinking they knew more than everyone else. In verse 7, that they're especially different, that they're better. Uh, They shift blame or or credit depending on how it makes them look. And then Paul launches into his classic sarcasm, uh, verse 8. Try and hear this in his tone. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign. And that without us... How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. You see, the Corinthians were so puffed up, it was as if they'd already made it to heaven. The job was done and they were reigning and judging with Christ now. They were pretty comfortable on their perch. You see, defective leaders expect Christ's kingdom reign now without his suffering. Expect Christ's kingdom reign without his suffering. They do not consider the cost. They are unwilling to suffer or lose for the sake of the gospel. They happily enjoy leadership when people look up to them and honor them, but are nowhere to be seen when leadership gets hard and becomes difficult. Defective leadership puffs up. On the other hand, gospel leaders count. The cost. Gospel leadership puts aside rights and privileges for the sake of representing Christ. Our uh, verses 9 and 10, let's read. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we, we are dishonored. So Paul uses two images. One of a, process, a procession, picture a prisoner of war being paraded by the enemy. And another image of the arena or the Colosseum, uh, thrown to their death by the hands of, of gladiators or animals for sport. Hardly a picture of, of reigning or, or being rich. Rather, they are those who have publicly stood for Jesus in this world, wearing its scorn. The Corinthians acted as if they were so wise and significant by the world, strong and honored. Paul said he and his companions were made fools for Christ, weak and dishonored. Gospel leadership counts the cost. Counts the public cost of following Jesus. Made a spectacle to the world. The sacrifice and humility of taking the narrow path over the wide one. Choosing the path of unpopularity for the sake of Christ over the praise of the world. Maybe it's being laughed at by your friends for choosing to serve at church rather than attend that party. Being ridiculed at university for standing out in solidarity with Christians for the sake of sharing the gospel over keeping one's reputation and and the praise of man. Not only so, but gospel leadership counts the physical, temporal cost of serving Christ. Look at verse 11. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. Paul truly knew the path of suffering. And for those who are called to lead in God's church, suffering and sacrifice are likely a reality for us. You know, we may not go hungry or become homeless, and I certainly don't want to discredit or discount those who have or will. Uh, But for you and me, it might mean that we have to take a pay cut. Gospel leadership I means sacrificing our time it might be hard and gruelling work. You know how we how we react to it will expose something of our heart. And so look down with me at verse twelve and thirteen. Paul says When we are cursed we bless. When we are persecuted we endure it. When we are slandered we answer kindly. We've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. Gospel leadership may involve laying down our rights and our privileges in the way of Jesus, loving our enemies, blessing those who persecute us. When we receive that comment on, on Facebook or Instagram, putting us down or cursing us, we don't respond by attacking, but rather with, with blessing. When we're let go by our boss who finds out that we're a Christian, we endure it. When our friends might ridicule us for serving Christ or or believing in Jesus, we answer with kindness. And this type of leadership can only come from a heart that has been transformed by the gospel, understanding the acceptance and the calling of Christ that we don't need the praise of the acceptance of man because we're accepted by him. So gospel leadership counts the cost of serving Christ. We see Paul doing this. He wasn't claiming his rights. His leadership wasn't a power grab. He said he's the scum of the earth. Don't become a leader for the praise and the privilege. Rather, gospel leadership limits will mean serving Christ, enduring the, the pain and the tiredness and the embarrassment. Remembering earlier, it is God who judges. And our motivation is God who will reward us on that last day with his praise. But you know, this isn't only true of leaders. Jesus himself had called those who would follow him to take up their cross. Consider the cost, laying down our lives, Luke chapter 14, Jesus gives the image of of building a tower or a king fighting a war and saying that one must count the cost. To count the cost, in verse 27 we read, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You know, I want to share with you an example then of someone who has demonstrated this type of gospel leadership to me. Uh, and it was a couple close to Meg and I named Jeremy and Olivia. Jeremy and Olivia, or Jez and Liv, are the extroverted, fun, adventurous type who were very popular in high school. Uh, but these two, both, at the cost of some of their popularity and their friendship, chose the path of following and standing for Jesus. You know, these guys sacrificed countless hours serving their church family. They're the kind of people who do the unnoticed things of, of caring for the unlovable and uh, packing up at the end of, of meetings. You know, these guys give up most of their Saturday nights, uh, serving and witnessing to the poor and lonely at a drop-in center, offering a free meal and a safe community. And these guys, you know, they're nothing fabulous and special. They'd be the first to admit that. But they have been truly captivated by Jesus and you see it in their lives. They've counted the cost. They've laid down their lives for the sake of Jesus so that a Saturday night is nothing to them. It is all the Lord's and they serve him. They've counted the cost. They lay down their lives for him. I wonder what might God be calling you to lay down for the sake of serving him? Perhaps it's that extra shift at work. Maybe it's your reputation in that uni-tube. Maybe it's a high paying career. You know, these are hard questions, but weighing up the infinite inheritance and praise of God, we lose nothing. All the suffering and pain and sacrifice pale in light of the glory that will be revealed in us through Jesus. So, where is our heart right now? What is our leadership going to be marked by? Self service? self-sacrifice. And so Paul then wraps up his argument with an appeal to imitate him. Uh, And this is the third aspect of gospel leadership, a life worth imitating. Uh, So read with me down verse 14. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, You do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. You know, I'm so grateful for my dad and what he modeled for me. My dad modeled for me respecting those, no matter who they are, he would show them respect. Dad modeled uh, hard work, dad modeled generosity. And Paul here is warning the Corinthian church of defective leadership and rather shows them what, what they need. What they need is a father figure, someone to model after, someone to imitate. And Paul had converted many in this church, and so he says he's like a spiritual dad to them. And therefore he says imitate me. Imitate me, verse 17. For this reason I've sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. And Paul's not saying that his life was perfect. But what he is saying is that it, it was worthy of imitation as he followed Jesus and he lived for Christ. And what he preached always matched up with how he lived. That's the definition of integrity. Being living consistently. You know, I've, I've, I've experienced the hollow feeling of preaching or teaching something that I know that in my life it doesn't match up or measure up to. The type of gospel leadership Paul encourages us to is one of integrity. Leaders are called to live with integrity because what we teach is important, but who we are and how we live will speak much, much louder. So as leaders, as any follower of Christ, do we take seriously how we are living? Would we want people to imitate us? Gospel leadership is not just talk, but a life to follow. You know, this is perhaps the most challenging, but also the most freeing part of leadership. It's challenging because leadership doesn't clock off when we sign out of the Zoom or close the door to our bedroom. We lead out of the overflow of our lives that are transformed by Jesus. And that's hard. That's hard when we know that there's places in our lives, parts of our lives, we wouldn't want copied in those that we are serving. But let me tell you, it's also freeing. It's freeing because to grow as an effective gospel leader, your first step is not some new knowledge to work harder or to pick up some new skill or ability the first step and ongoing focus is simply to be with Jesus. Grow in your relationship with Him. Seek Him. Love Him. Receive His mercies. Receive His Spirit and be just transformed by Him. As you grow in your relationship to Him, out of the overflow of the hidden places with God, lives will be genuinely touched. Because as we see in the moment, We don't minister to others with just talk. We need the power of God. And God delights to demonstrate His power through those who have humbly submitted to Him, those who abide in Him, remain connected. And so my example for you tonight of integrity, I'm grateful for one of my high school teachers and church elder at the time. His name was Gary. His name is still Gary. Uh, And this man, you could tell, was the same in private as he was in public. You know, what uh, really stood out to me about Gary was he was a man of prayer. And when when he would talk about his prayer for me, you could see and tell that he genuinely was doing this. I asked to catch up with Gary uh, later uh, after high school, and um, I asked him about his prayer life. I asked him about his marriage and his devotion to God. And uh, listening to, sh- to him share about his love for Jesus, his devotion to him, his fellowship with, with God, I knew that this is a man worth imitating. Uh, another leader who had an impact on my life was a leader on Sea Camp. Uh, his name is Jared. Uh, he was the tech guy who ran the multimedia, essentially uh, clicking the slides for the songs, and now I know it's much more than that. Um, but I distinctly remember Jared. I was playing keys in the band one year. And um, during one of the rehearsals, uh, while we were singing, uh, Jared stepped out of his sound booth and with arms raised was praising the Lord. Here was a man that I knew genuinely loved Jesus and worshipped Him. And I thought to myself, I want to be like that, regardless of whether I'm up the front in a rehearsal or backstage, that I would be a person was passionate and genuine in my worship and love of Jesus. I could tell Jared uh, was the same in public as he was in private. I want to be like that. Church, we need God's transforming work in our hearts for this. That in public or in private, we would live lives worth imitating. Lives of integrity and faithfulness. May God transform our hearts that our words would match our lives. Because that's the trap that the Corinthian church and some of them had fallen into. A defective leadership of all talk and no power. So let's read verse 18. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power... They have. For the kingdom of God is not a power, not a matter of talk, but of power. Some Corinthian leaders consider themselves better than Paul, and so we're saying, forget him, he's not coming back. We are the real deal. Paul's, Paul calls them arrogant. This is the trap of defective leadership, when we think more highly of ourselves. But more than that, all their talk and leadership was just that, simply talk and no power. And that's the danger for us, to say many things, but for God to close his hand and and for there to be no power. So this is how Paul concludes his argument, which he'd started in chapter one. For all the division of this leader or that or the obsession over human wisdom or the obsession over experiences and signs, the kingdom of God came down not to talk, but to power. And the power of God was in the foolishness of the cross, the gospel, to transform lives. Not human wisdom, not talk. Paul wasn't about the persuasive, fancy words, but about preaching Jesus Christ crucified. The only hope of the, of the whole world. The only way we could be reconciled to our God and Father. And so leading in the church, it's important to know where our heart is towards God. Because the gospel is the foundation and the power of the church, we need to see ourselves as servants entrusted with this gospel. Because the gospel is the foundation and the power of this church, we must count the cost, not seeking our own benefit. Because the gospel is the foundation and the power of the cross, the power for the church, we must live transformed lives by, by this gospel, lives that are worth imitating. So, as your pastor, this is what God is calling me to. And, and I ask you to keep me accountable to this and help me as I serve you. If you're a community group leader or a, a youth group leader, if you're a mentor, or a, if you lead up the front or behind the scenes, or, or simply an older person in this church, This is the type of leadership God is calling us to. And Paul says we should imitate him. So whoever you are in this church, whatever God has assigned to you, the task he has given you, we all need our hearts to be transformed by Christ so that we would be servants, so that we would count the cost of following him and that we would live lives that bring him glory. Faithful, selfless, integrity. But let me tell you tonight, this is not burdensome because we follow a king who has embodied each of these for our sake. Jesus Christ, our great leader. Jesus came to serve, not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus first loved us. Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, You know, we live in a world of constant comparison and and judgment, constantly seeking people's acceptance to find our place in the world. Christ, our merciful judge and servant, came through the cross so that we could come to Him and find that acceptance that is available to us. Jesus came to serve and to be our ransom. And Jesus counted the cost. Jesus served us in his leadership, suffered the cross for us so that by his wounds we might be healed. Jesus suffered the shame and the scorn. He was cursed and he responded with blessing and love. Father, forgive them, he prayed. This is the Jesus that we serve. He loved us that he gave his life for us. And Jesus rose from the dead and reigns victoriously, now interceding for us. And the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, the Bible says that it's the same power at work in us to transform us, the kingdom power at work in and through us. Christ, our great example, tempted in every way, but did not sin, is able to emphasize, empathize, empathize with us in our weakness, Jesus Christ building this church that we might be into the image of him, our great example. This is our leader that we serve. Jesus Christ, our great example. So let's serve him. Let's be servants of Christ, entrusted with the gospel. What a fantastic responsibility. What an exciting adventure that he invites us into with this kingdom of God in our view. And so let's lead that one day we might hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But I want to conclude tonight just uh, for those that may need to respond to this. You know, Paul was talking about not living for the judgment of others. You know, in this world, there's so much pressure to be someone to rise up to meet people's expectations and the expectations that we put on ourselves, but we know that we fall short. But it's the Lord who judges. And one day we will have to answer to God for our lives. And none of us, none of us have lived lives that are worthy and that are worthy of acceptance to be in His holy presence. But the beauty of the gospel is that through Jesus Christ, through Jesus serving us, laying down his life to die, to wash us clean of our sins, to take the punishment, the wrath of God upon himself, that we might be reconciled to him so that on that final day, he'll pronounce us righteous and, and free. And so that's, that's the offer for us tonight. And maybe for some of us, we haven't yet really fully uh, understood this or, or come to it. And we've been listening to this gospel and we know that in our hearts that we are are sinful and we need his forgiveness. And I want to give you that opportunity to respond. The the free gift of Christ is there and it's available for you to take that freedom, that acceptance in Jesus. You're no longer measured by the worth of the world, but your worth is in Jesus and he loves you. And for others tonight, maybe we need to step up in our leadership, lay down some motivations that we know are not of him and rather take up this call to be servant leaders in the likeness of Jesus. So I want to invite you to pray with me and I want to invite you to respond this free gift that God has given us. So would you pray with me now as we come before him? Our Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you that you are a good leader who would lay down your life. Lord, you in very nature, God, you would take up the nature of a servant to serve us, being obedient even to death. Thank you, Lord. And we know that that You had to die. You had to take the cross, the wrath of God upon yourself so that we might be healed, that we might be made clean. And I pray for those listening uh, who know that there is sin in their lives, sin in their heart. And when they stand before you, a holy God, that they are guilty. I pray, Lord, that you would reach out with your love and forgiveness and help us to respond to you in faith. God, we come to you humbly and know that So many times have we messed this up, we've botched it, and we need your love, we need your grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the free gift of forgiveness and and grace so that we can be restored to you. So Lord Jesus, for those of us who are leading, I pray that you would uh, change our hearts and, and mold us by your spirit that we wouldn't just be talk, but that we would be the power of God. Lord, we know that your kingdom is not of talk but of power. So, Lord, help us to take our eyes off the wisdom of the world and look to you, the founder, perfecter of our faith. So we worship you tonight and pray that you would help us to live lives that um, are founded upon your gospel, that this would shape all that we do. So go before us this week. May we worship you now. and, Lord, for those that are called to lead and influence others, Lord, as we... uh, like the apostles, are a a spectacle to the world, uh, that we would have courage to stand up, that courage to go. Uh, Lord, please heal our lands. Please come and with your gospel, bring salvation to many. And Lord, may we be some part of that. Help us to be faithful servants to you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.